If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn with some anticipation to the book of Acts. And we're going to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be picking up at verse 1. And uh, we have some quite a bit of scripture to wade through this morning. So I want to just encourage you to hang in there. But before we begin to read there, Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 1, we're going to back up just a little bit. So your, your finger is on Acts chapter 2. But we're going to back up and look at Acts chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 5. And the the mini series that we're getting ready to kick off that we're doing that this morning really is is called connecting with God. And and so the idea is, what does it look like when things go right? And a little bit later, I'll talk about, in fact, on a different Sunday, what's it look like when things go wrong as far as church goes. But you see, the challenge is us. For us today is to look at, you know, what, what it looks like when things go right in the church. And so I think the best place to do that is to go to the beginning of the church just after the crucifixion of Christ and he was buried and now he's been resurrected. And so we're looking at the beginning of the church there in Acts chapter one, looking at verse one, and then we'll jump to Acts chapter two and we'll answer the question, what does it look like when things go right? So let's just begin to read. In my former book, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so we see the topic here, or the focus, of course, is Jesus Christ. But then we turn from that reality to another one, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus proceeds to show us, not only in his life and ministry, that there are lots of... Uh, Lots of events and, and moments that we maybe experience God. But there is that moment that we realize that God is real. That God is something that is true. And I don't know if you remember that moment in your life, in your heart, when you, you realize for the very first time that God, this is a real thing. And, and maybe it was at that moment that you chose Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe it was sometime later. But there is power and the truth and the reality that God is real. Amen? And so we recognize that he is our creator. Then later on in, in chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we see that Matthew is then voted on to replace Judas. And, and then next we go to chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. Bear with me now. Just hang in there. We go to Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 1, which is really kind of a complete theology of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because we're asking the question, what does it look like, church, when things go right? And we have a lot of things going on and a lot of ministry happening. But I mean, really, the question is, what does it look like when ministry things are going right? So let's look beginning here. I, I don't think I'm going to read all of these verses, um, but uh, I'll, I'm just going to begin. I'm going to start to wade through this and then uh, we'll pause and we'll just kind of uh, follow our text that way. So, uh, again, Acts chapter two, looking at verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Interesting note as far as the church goes. You know, what does it look like when things go right? Well, they're together in one place. Then verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. I'm imagining, you know, in my mind's eye what that would have been like. They're there in that room and all of a sudden, flash, boom, bang, they're what seems to be these tongues of fire and they're touching and, and almost like this Hollywood movie, this image that I have in my mind. But you see, that's again, that's not the topic. That's not the focus. It says in verse four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. Now, verse five. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Imagine that when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't all these who are speaking Galilean? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. And then, of course, what he does is he begins to tell the story of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ came and he gave his Life on Calvary, and he was crucified on a cross, and he was buried in the grave and resurrected from the grave. And then as he tells the story, and the gospel really essentially unfolds, the people respond. He's saying in verse 36, drop down to chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And so I, I just see this emotional moment, this time when, when they are hearing this gospel, maybe for the very first time, and they are shaken to the core. Heidi and I had an opportunity to go to, to Africa, and we, we planted two churches there with the Jesus Film Ministry, and we showed the Jesus Film out in the bush, and the grass was eight foot tall, and we began to play this movie over this loudspeaker, and over the period of, of the next 30, 45 minutes, people began to arrive and hear where it looked like there was nobody, because we're in the wilderness. There was probably 400 people there by the end of the movie. And I'll never forget the response of, of the people of the country that we we're in there in Zambia and how they were moving and pressing towards the screen and how their hands were up and, and how Jesus, when he was crucified and how they began to cry and we could hear even moans amongst the crowd because they were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time. Their lives were shaken because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder when was the last time that you were shaken like that? I mean, hearing the truth of God, the word of God in such a way that Jesus died for you, your sins. You heard it in such a way that your your life was completely shaken. And, and of course, what happens? Peter responds. Look at verse 38. Follow me now. Verse 38, they just asked, what shall we do? They heard the gospel. What shall we do? We're shaken. 
Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you for the gospel, Lord, that changes and transforms lives. And Lord, it's possible that there may be someone within earshot today that has never heard the gospel clearly. That Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh, died on the cross for the sins of mankind. And the promise that when we receive him and accept him, that there is everlasting life. Father, I pray that you would just speak to that heart today that needs to hear your voice. I pray for the one that might be doubting this morning, that you would remove those doubts. I pray for the one that is just, Lord, maybe so filled with joy, they cannot wait to share the love that they have with others. I pray that you would just speak, Lord, to our hearts this morning. Speak through the word, anoint the word in this reading. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, notice in verse 1 and verse 37 and 38, it gives us really kind of the crux of what this, this passage is built upon. Of course, it's built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how does the gospel happen? I mean, how does it become personal for each individual that is sitting in this room? Well, well what we see, it's, it's in relationship. It's through relationship that we have with the Father that the gospel becomes real. It becomes personal. It is something that is worth sharing. Amen. So it's in relationship. God becomes important. It becomes uh, intimate for each one of us. And part of that is in, in our ability to listen, to hear what it is that God has to say. You know, we're talking about relationships and, and listening and how I'm thinking about how important it is to be able to listen to have a healthy relationship. How many believe that listening is important to having healthy relationships? Um, maybe that's why someone said that there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth. You know, to listen twice as much as we speak. I think there's some truth to that. Amen. Stephen Covey, he said this about listening. He said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. I mean, think about that. I I fall into that trap where, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm so excited about what it is that I want to say that I forget what it is that you're saying because I'm so intent on trying to say what I want to say. So that means I'm a poor listener. And so Tony Miller has to slow down just a little bit so that I can hear what you have to say. So in this passage, we 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 have this direction or really a directive that. The gospel is about relationship. That's what I'm trying to get at this morning, that the gospel is about relationship. And I propose that there are five dynamic relationships. Listen now, there are five dynamic relationships that will transform our church if we pay attention to these relationships. And the first relationship that, that really falls upon my shoulders is the relationship of the pastor with God. 
The relationship that I have with the father, just as a father in a family or a mother in the family, as far as that goes, has the responsibility to be a spiritual leader. So for me to be a spiritual leader, I must have relationship with the father. And if I step out of that pattern, that example that Jesus gives me, then things begin to go sideways right out of the starting gate because I'm not in right relationship with the father. In fact, I go to the scripture and I can look at one scripture after another, one in Luke chapter six and verse 12, another in Matthew chapter 14 and 23 and another in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 and I reference each of these scriptures because every time the example is set by Jesus Christ that when his bucket becomes empty and he needs to be filled spiritually what does Jesus Christ do? He goes to the Father and as he goes to the Father he spends time in prayer and as he spends time in prayer the bucket is refilled. I remember an old professor that said to me that your bucket is going to run dry pastor. And the only way that you're going to have something to say, you got to fill the bucket. You need to read those books. You need to go to those classes and continue to fill your bucket. If you think that you're called to ministry and you're not prepared to become a lifelong student, you might want to think you're called to ministry. Because part of ministry is that you've got to fill the bucket so that you have something to pour out to others. Amen. And so what happens here, Jesus sets the example For the pastor, and that is in relationship with the father, he must go to the well, fill his bucket. Um, Jesus also set an example by having uh, one eye on heaven. I mean, he always had his mind on heaven. Whatever he was doing, whatever activities he was a part of, his mind was upon heaven. Amen. And so the pastor's mind needs to always be upon heaven. And then the, the last thing I want to mention that Jesus did and set an example for us is that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice when he gave his life on Calvary. And I know sometimes pastors may think that ministry is a bed of roses and it's supposed to be just all fun and easy. But folks, I'm here to say it is not always fun and easy. I love the fact that I'm still in my honeymoon here. You know, we've only been here about two months and I'm, man, we're just loving San Diego. We're loving you and I'm trusting that a year from now we're going to still feel that way. But but they say as pastors in the circle of pastors and we get together with other ministers on the district, we talk about, well, you're still in your honeymoon. And so time passes and, you know, life happens and we're people and things get challenging. And so I think sometimes we need to recognize that uh, life is not always going to be just wonderful and perfect. So Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. Sometimes I guess what I'm saying, listen. Pastors sometimes have to sacrifice, and I understand that. But the, the, the primary, the number one responsibility that I have as, as a pastor, my role as your pastor, is to make sure that my relationship with my Father in heaven is right. Amen? And so that's my first priority. The second relationship that will transform a church is the relationship of the congregation and their relationship with God. That's right. That's your relationship with the Father in heaven. Listen, how can you understand the things of the kingdom of heaven if you're not a part of the kingdom of heaven? I think the very first question in regards to your relationship with God is the question of salvation. 
Because if salvation has not been experienced, how are we going to understand the spiritual things of God? When salvation happens, that's the first question. When salvation happens, all of a sudden we have kingdom eyes and we have kingdom thoughts and we have kingdom concerns and we have kingdom intentions. Why? Because we're part of the kingdom of God. Amen. And it's possible, it's possible that you've not come to that place in your life yet. You've not maybe made that decision where you've prayed and you've asked Jesus to come and be a part of your life and to live in your heart. Well, he wants to do that. He really does. And so the two dynamic relationships, of course, is the the first two is the relationship between the pastor and God. The second is the relationship between the congregation and God. What is the third one? The third dynamic relationship is the relationship between the pastor and his congregation. Amen. Heidi and I, as we begin ministry, our intention is we want to develop deep, long-lasting relationships. I praise the Lord for the friendships that we have, that we've made through the years, that we've had for 20, 30 years with people in ministry. And they are dear to us, and they're concerned about our life, and we stay connected, and we're concerned about their lives. But there is just something about developing deep, long-lasting relationships. You know, it's kind of like marriage. (laughs) Amen. I mean, you know, there's the ups and downs in marriage, but really what refines the relationship is are are all the experiences of being committed for a long period of time. That's important. And uh, and so I just want to recognize this relationship, the relationship that, uh, of course, that the, the pastor has with the people and as well as the people having a relationship with the pastor is so dynamic, you know. There are seven traits I want to share with you, seven traits of of a healthy pastoral tenure, and we have them here for you today. And I just want to kind of go through them fairly quickly. Uh, These are the traits of a pastor that has a healthy pastoral tenure in a church. And you're saying, well, pastor, that's for you. I understand that, but I want you to know that I know this, okay? One is they pray for their church members and staff, and Heidi and I, we do that. They view their family as their first line of ministry. Heidi is going to be a priority. Anybody have any problem with that? (laughs) Heidi is going to be a priority, and so are my children, okay? They connect with and love people in their their small community. I I meant to put, it says cell, but small community. Uh, they choose their battles wisely and carefully. Uh, you know, every discussion is not a battle. You know, I'm not fighting. I'm not here to fight, but I'm here to glorify God. Isn't that right, Chippo? And so, you know, if, if I'm if I'm fighting, man, it must be really big. It must be really important. But anyways, they choose their battles wisely, carefully. They welcome structures that make them accountable. I love the fact that I have a layman already at Mission Church that calls me about once a month and we get together and he asks me some hard questions. And, and so there's the system of accountability and that's, that's wonderful. Uh, they expect conflict. They expect conflict and criticism. We're human beings, you know, or it's natural. We're going to have some conflict, but we're going to live through it, and God is going to be glorified, just like in a marriage. We live through it. Uh, they ask the long-term questions. They ask the questions that will take us, you know, down the road five years or down the road ten years. So that, that uh, again, are, are positive traits that you'll find in a pastor that has a good, healthy uh, tenure in ministry. The fourth relationship, so that was about the pastor's relationship with the people. The fourth relationship is the people's relationship with the pastor. You've heard it said, and I might be meddling a little bit, but you've heard it said, behind every good man, 
or we could change the gender there, right? Uh, behind every good man, there is what? There is a great woman or a great mother, somebody that's believed in them and nurtured them and who they are and that they might become all that, that God want them to, to become. But I, I, I want to change it a little bit and say this. Behind every, every good pastor, there is a great congregation. Did you know that? Did you know that there are good congregations and then there are not so good congregations? That behind every great pastor, there's a great congregation. And you know, it's one thing for a pastor. He can be the best preacher. He can have the best goals. He can have the greatest vision. But it will come to not. It will not be effective unless there is a great congregation that is behind that. Amen. And I can see that God is already doing some great things and working in the church. And you're a part of that. Amen. You're a great congregation. And I praise the Lord that God has brought us together for his glory. So this relationship, the people's relationship with the pastor, it's, it's, it's very important. I remember uh, one year, many years ago in the early part of my ministry, I had uh, I'd preached a message that was focused uh, on one word. In fact, uh, I, I believe I had the definition right, but I grossly mispronounced the word. And I preached my heart out mispronouncing the word the entire sermon. And I got done, and I felt pretty good about myself. And uh, some time passed, about six months passed, and, and I heard some people giggling in the office, a couple of ladies, and they were saying something, and this word came up. And, and then they pointed out to me, this was six months later, pointed out to me that, that I had mispronounced that word. And, oh, I was so embarrassed. But you see, part of being a healthy congregation is there is a a sense of graciousness. There is a sense of tenderness there in relationship. And there's some flexibility. And I say this sometimes to people. I'm willing, you know, just show me the mercy that I'm willing to show you. Amen. So that we can just show mercy to one another. So healthy congregations tend to be gracious and value the relationship with their pastor as priority. That's what I've uh, kind of addressed here. But here's the last relationship that will dynamically transform the church. Are you ready for this? Here's the last one. Our church's relationship with the community. Our church's relationship with the community. And folks, I cannot say enough about community relations. In fact, in in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you have God's word, let's turn there real quick. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 7. And then I'm going to just kind of pull this all together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verse 7. And there we read... Speaking about, you know, uh, the one in ministry, and we are all, we are all a part of the priesthood of believers, according to Hebrews. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so this is in, in the context of, of, of ministry and teaching in regards to bishops and deacons and teachers and, and how we're to treat each other. But then also Timothy goes on to say, but yet this is also important that we have a good reputation uh, among those that are outside of our church. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at that with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 21, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, 
but also in the eyes of man. But also in the eyes of man. So that means the reputation that we have with outsiders, the reputation that we have with our community as a church, it matters. Amen. And that means how we treat our vendors, people that come and service us. That means how we treat our visitors, those that come and visit us. That means that when we go to lunch today, it means how we leave a tip, you know, for the waitress or whoever it might be. That we might have a strong relationship with the community around this church because they will know that we're a part of Mission Church of the Nazarene and more importantly, a part of the kingdom of God. So maybe the beginning of connecting with God is understanding the relationships that God has blessed us with. I want to invite us to stand. Let's stand, and we're going to just worship for a moment as the worship team comes. And I want us to be challenged to build good relationships, lifelong, lasting relationships, and to set out a good reputation in the community in which we live for God's glory as a church. We're just laying the groundwork this this Sunday. We're just laying the groundwork. But the next Sunday, just wait. Because we're going to just unfold this a little bit more and it, it, it will impact our church. I believe that. Let's, let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you so much for answered prayer. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the dynamic relationships that we have here. The relationship between pastor and congregation. Relationship that we have, Lord, with each other. But more important than that, the relationship that we have with you. Father, we recognize this. And we pray that you would just anoint anoint our relationships I pray Lord that we will build and develop deep long lasting relationships that will last a lifetime Lord I pray that as people come into this congregation they'll sense something special here that Lord that you're real we have relationship with you Father we thank you for this opportunity that we have today thank you Father for just being present in that one person's heart this morning saying, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. Hear their prayer, I pray, as we worship this morning. We ask all these things. Jesus Christ's glorious name. Hallelujah.